0: with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is first ballot Hall of Famer and Kansas City Royals Vice President of Baseball Operations, George Brett.
2: Today's guest is one of baseball's greatest hitters. Now, we could probably wake him up out of a deep sleep on any given night, and he'd still be able to hit line drives into the gaps. He's one of only four players with 3,000 hits, 300 home runs, and a 300 batting average. He's also the only representative of the Kansas City Royals in baseball's Hall of Fame. It is certainly my pleasure to welcome the great George Brett. George, welcome to Game Time. Well thanks, Boomer, and thanks for having me on your show. I hear you guys have a new part owner out there. Um, Patrick uh what's what's his name? Patrick um Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He Patrick Mahomes football. Football. He's yeah. almost <laughs>
1: as good as you were.
2: <laughs> you know, it's interesting, George. I interviewed him before he was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, and right. I met his his mom who brought him into our studios in New York, and I was so impressed by that young man how Just mature he was, and then he was telling me how he was fielding ground balls and shagging fly balls on a major league diamond when he was five and six years old with his dad, Patrick Mahomes, who played for my New York Mets. And I knew he was going to be a sensation. I didn't realize he was going to be this good this fast. What's it like being around him? Uh, It's been a lot of fun. I've gotten to know him a little bit. Uh, I would say we're friends. We
1: have each other's phone number. Um, He likes to play golf. I know that. I helped get him into the country club I'm at in Kansas City and also the president of the Chiefs, Mark Donovan. We kind of rushed him through the process a little bit. He had a little bit more more pull than a lot of the newer members that, that try to get in. Wonderful, wonderful guy. And I just wish... I wish he would start calling me Mr. Brett. I mean, I <laughs> that really bothers me. I mean, here is maybe one of the greatest football players in the country right now, and he still calls me Mr. Brett. And every time I play golf with him, it's like, Patrick, please just call me George. Okay, Mr. Brett. You know, but yeah, he's well, just really, you, he, you know what he's done? He's not only taken Kansas City by storm, but he's behaved and, and said all
2: the right things. He's well-mannered, and uh, he's been a great tribute to our city. All right, we're getting warmed up with our Hall of Famer right here, Royals icon George Brett. Stay with us as game time continues right after this. When George Brett went to renew his Missouri driver's license, the officials reportedly waived the need for the mandatory vision test. Why? Because they said if he could hit 350, they claimed we figured he could see, and they were right. He could see, and right, he could how see How find all this stuff out? That's oh, George, group, I got really. I got so much stuff about you, you have no idea. Oh, my God. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh.
0: It's game time with Boomer Esiason.
2: George Brent once said, I really think one reason why i played the way i did because i had brothers at home who would kick my butt if i didn't play and hustle the way i did another reason was his father jack if my dad were still alive brett commented and i told him i made it to cooper sound he would probably ask why couldn't you have gotten five more hits in 1980 and i love that story uh george because you and i definitely are on. Parallel past. My dad was a World War II vet as well, didn't believe in participation trophies. he believed in hard work, he believed in discipline, and he definitely believed in respect for the game that you played. Yeah, he did. Uh, uh, it, it's funny being the
1: youngest son or y- youngest son of, of my father Jack and my mother Ethel. All my, all three of my brothers, older brothers, were all great athletes. I mean, my brother Ken was one, maybe one of the best athletes ever to come out of Southern California. I was always compared to my brothers growing up. You don't hit as good as your brother Ken. You don't run as fast as your brother John. You're not as tough as your brother Bobby. You know, and in basketball, it was oh, you, you're you're terrible. And football, your brother tackles harder than you. He throws a tighter spiral. But I think growing up, the youngest and having my dad who was very, very, very strict, uh, and three brothers that loved the game of baseball. Uh, that I was going to go out and give it the best I had. And, and uh, uh, believe me, Boomer, I blew my own expectations
2: playing 20 years and getting 3,000 hits. Now, there were two other big influences in your life as I see this. One was your fellow rookie, Hal McCray when you got to Kansas City, and the other was hitting coach Charlie Lau, right? Right, yeah, both of them played a major part of my
1: success. I think Whitey Herzog did also. But uh, when I first got there, Charlie just watched me for the first Uh, I got up in 1973. I got called up for two weeks. I played two games, got sent back down, got called up in September. I ended up getting 45 at-bats and hit 125, and Charlie didn't say a word. The next day, I was one of the last players cut in spring training. Um, I went down to AAA in Omaha, Nebraska. Two weeks later, they traded the third baseman. They gave me the job. I hit 200 at the all-star break. Charlie Loud didn't say a word. And then all of a sudden, he wanted to see if I would make any adjustments on my Mm. own. Which I didn't. I didn't know what adjustments to make. And he came up. We had a heartfelt talk on the way back from Cleveland to Kansas City. And he said he thinks I can make it. I'm the only guy. I'm the only coach here. Everybody else wants to send you to AAA. He said if you give me your heart and soul, I think we can go somewhere. Sure enough, we changed my whole approach to hitting. We set a goal for 250 that year. A month and a half later, I was at 250. I got it to 292 with three games to go which meant I hit about 390 the second half of the season or 400. And uh, they fired him with three games to go. And I ended up going 0 for 11, hitting 282. They fired uh, the next year they brought Charlie back and we continued our work. And I think he's the one that taught me the basic fundamentals of my swing and to stay with it through slumps, how to get out of slumps. And then I had Hal McRae, who was also working with Charlie Lau. Uh, Hal came over from the Reds in a trade, had a terrible first year with the Royals. And uh, all of a sudden, he started seeing success. So every day, Hal and I were together. But just watching the way Hal played the game, I never played it. I always played it hard, but not that hard. And uh, just watching him every day go in and break up double plays, and then I became that guy to, hey, if he can do it, I can do it, and stretch singles into doubles, doubles into triples, take extra bases when not, not a lot of
2: people would. I mean, Hal really taught me how to do that. I understand that Charlie Lau got fired you just brought that up. And I heard that, you know, you went 0 for 11 since he was fired, but you also went, went back in the locker room and were crying because he was fired. Is that true? Yeah, well, he was, he was kind of my security blanket. I mean, we would hit extra boomer every day on the road
1: at 3 o'clock. We'd hit extra every day at home at 4. Now, some days those swings would only be for, my extra session would be for 20 swings. Okay, everything's still the same as it was before. Let's go out there and get it. He, yeah. he didn't believe in overkill. Sometimes Some days it might have been 50 swings. What the hell happened from yesterday? I mean, <laughs> it looks like you haven't been paying attention. But every time that game started, I felt
2: comfortable that my swing was intact. We'll return with Hall of Famer George Brett right after this to get more of those thoughts after these messages.
0: Brought to you by the Ford Bronco Sport, Built Ford Tough. It's time for a change. Instead of working from home, work from your luxury suite at Midtown Manhattan's crown jewel, the Kimberly Hotel. Now offering special monthly rates with the most impeccable safety and hygiene protocols to keep you safe. You're watching Game Time with Boomer Esiason.
2: American League umpire Steve Palermo was once asked about George Brett and reportedly said if God had him at no balls and two strikes, he'd still get a hit. And after those tough 70s losses to the Yankees, all of a sudden we get to the 1980s, George, and things start to break right for you. Well, they weren't bad. I mean, I made some costly errors early in my career
1: in the playoffs, but... uh... We lost to the Yankees in uh, 76. Shambles hits a home run in the b- bottom of the ninth inning. I had a three-run home run, I think, in the top of the eighth to tie the game at six. And then he hits one in the bottom of the ninth, the first pitch he saw from uh, our relief pitcher, Mark Littell. The, se- the next year we lose in the se- fifth and final game again, this time in Kansas City. And then in 1978, we lost in four games. And we missed the playoffs by two games, I think, in 79. And then we swept the Yankees in 1980, which was <laughs> like the World Series. And unfortunately, the the Philadelphia Phillies, you know, they had some heartbreaks in those late 70s also. We played them when we ended up losing the World Series in six games. We make the playoffs, lose in 81, lose in 84, and then win the World Series in 85. But uh, beating the Yankees in
2: 19... 80 was at that time the greatest thrill of my life. Yeah, I would imagine so. After fighting with them and yelling with right. them and, and everything that, that went on with
1: them. them. Me and Nettles got in a fist fight. Yes. <laughs> the fifth and final game in 1978, I believe. I mean, it was a, I, mean, I threw a haymaker at him. I slid into third. He thought I slid in too hard. You watched those whole series, though. We hated each other. The Yankees hated the Royals and the Royals hated the Yankees. They were the oh. big town from the East. We were the small Midwestern town. They had a huge payroll. We didn't have a big, big payroll. They would sign the free agents. We would bring them up through the farm system, but you couldn't have two bigger opposite teams playing each other, but it really developed into, I think in the, starting in 76, 77, it started into one of the best rivalries in baseball.
2: Yeah, it was, it was intense, and I would think that you and Goose Gossage would have a few laughs over a few beers from time I mean, to that's time. That's all kidding. we do is
1: laugh right now, but
2: you know <laughs> right. what's funny? I never
1: said one word to Goose Gossage my whole career, not one word. We were on the same All-Star team probably four or five t- times. I never said one word to them, never one word, but that, that's the way baseball was then. You know, it was they would put all the pitchers on one wall and all the position players on the other wall, and you would maybe say hi walking down the tunnel, from the locker room to the to the field, say hi. You might sit next to somebody by on the bench once in a while, but there was not a lot of
2: conversation back then with pitchers. All right. So back in 1980, let's start there. You're flirting with 400. You have a four-hit game back in August of uh, 1980. You you get your 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 average up to 401. And are you starting to feel like now this is where I have an opportunity to do something and that's hit over 400? I learned a lot about guys that hit 400 in 1980, but
1: uh, I didn't think about it then. I was swinging the bat extremely well, uh, obviously. Um, There were six weeks to go in the season. The highest that I I had ever hit before was 333. So for, you know, to get 67 points higher than that is higher than your career or your highest average ever. I really didn't think about, but little did I know, for the next month I would still be over 400, and uh, got down to two weeks to go in the season. Now, after talking to the media about uh, the possibility of being the first guy to do something since Ted Williams, and at first I just laughed at it. I mean, I said, "Are you kidding me? There's six weeks to go in the season. You guys are nuts." Well, two weeks to go in the season, I'm still getting the same question because I'm over Mm -hmm. 400. Then I went out and I did the one thing that I drastically shouldn't have done. I went out and tried to hit 400, where before I was just seeing the ball and hitting it. And if I made an out, I didn't care. And then all of a sudden it got to 399, then 396. Then I started pressing even more. It got down to as low as 384. All the media left me alone after that. I had five games to go in the season. I had 500 the last five games. Got it back up to 390. I missed hitting 400 by five hits. And... Uh, I went home that year for Thanksgiving, and the first thing my father said to me—not <laughs> that—not that. Hey, good home run to beat the Yankees in the third and final game of the playoffs, hitting it off Goose Gossage. Hey, he didn't say anything about that. The first thing he said to me is, "You couldn't have told. Why couldn't you have got five more goddamn?" Days? That's what he. Oh, <laughs> <Well>, he's <laughs>
2: if a you tough son. Take care of yourself. You probably would have done it. Ah, you know what, I I love the story. More with George Brett right after this, hang in there.
0: Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds, protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe. Watching Game Time with Boomer Esiason.
2: When George Brett went to renew his Missouri driver's license, the officials reportedly weighed the need for the mandatory vision test. Why? Because they said if he could hit 350, they claimed we figured he could see, and they were right. He could see, and he how, could see how a do baseball. How did you find all this stuff out? That's oh, George, I got news. I got so much stuff about you. You yeah. have no idea. Oh my God. All right, so hemorrhoid guy, pine tar guy, uh, and I know the hemorrhoid thing happened during the World Series, obviously got a lot of press, and that had to be difficult to deal with. I mean, you're right in the middle of the World Series, and you have hemorrhoid surgery. How did it happen, and why did it happen?
1: Well, I went to a proctologist, and I'd never been to a proctologist before, and it was uh, after we beat the Yankees. We stayed in New York for two or three days, and and i was complaining about discomfort and i asked one of our trainers and he looked at it and he goes oh my god you got a bunch of hemorrhoids and, and so i said well you know it's really <laughs> uncomfortable so we find out philadelphia wins the, the playoff series against houston so we fly to philadelphia they take me to a proctologist and the proctologist is asking me all these questions how old are you i said 27 god that's kind of young um he said uh, what's your diet and i said well i'm single i i probably don't eat, you know, I drink some beer, I drink some tequila, I drink some wine, eat a lot of cheeseburgers, nachos, things like that. Yeah. He said, have you been under any stress lately? And that was the year of 400. I said, yeah, a little bit. And we just played the Yankees and we beat them. And now I'm playing in my first world series game tomorrow against the Philadelphia Phillies. So I've been under stress for about the last six or seven, eight weeks. And he says, well, that's probably the reason of it, you know, well, it could have been worse. Roger Maris, when he was trying to break uh, Babe Ruth's record, um, the home run record, in 61, he lost his hair. Stress, you know, made him lose his hair. He went bald. Well, I would rather still have this and had hemorrhoids for a short period of time. but <laughs> still have hair, so it really wasn't that bad. And then in 1983, the Pine Tar game, five, three years later, for, for a three-year period, you go to visiting ballparks. You know what that's like. You know, you get guys that have some beers. They sit by the on-deck circle or by your bench, and they start yep. screaming obscenities at you the whole time. Mm-hmm. I was the pine, I was the hemorrhoid guy. And all of yes. a sudden, after July 24, 1983, I was the pine tar guy. And I've never been so thankful for that because now I have to remind people that I had hemorrhoids during the 1980 World Series. Everybody's <laughs> forgotten about that, and I'm related to as the pine tar guy, which I think was good for me <clears throat> because it was a home run to help win a ballgame. And it was off a guy, Goose Gossage, that is one of the premier, premier relief pitchers in the game.
2: And then the ensuing argument with the umpires, it showed my passion to win a ballgame. Now, the interesting thing, of course, the Pintar game comes against the Yankees and Billy Martin. And then the resumption of that game after that uh, home run was awarded back to you, you couldn't play in it because... You were suspended because you... For some reason, Boomer, they threw me out of that game. <laughs> yeah, well, they shouldn't have thrown you out of the game. They should have thrown the umpires out of the game. But the umpire, Tim McClellan, was too big. You weren't charging him to run him over, were you?
1: No, no, I was just running out there. I don't know what would have happened. And, Timmy, <laughs> I always got, I always got uh, along great with all the umpires. For instance, every time I'd walk up to bat, my first at-bat, I would always say... You know, I'd always kick my little hole in the back, on the back line and I'd say, how's my favorite umpire doing today? And the catcher would start laughing and, you know, but every I got along great with umpires and, and uh, I was running out there. I don't know what I was going to do. Timmy McClellan tells the story when I've seen Timmy and, and I've heard him speak at dinners. His big story is, yeah, I asked George Brett what he was going to do to me when he ran out of that dugout. I'm six foot five, I weigh 260 pounds. I got shin guards on. I got a bat in one hand and a mask in the other. What were you gonna do to me? And I said, I was gonna do exactly what I did, run up to you and then hope to
2: be pulled away because I was not gonna hit him. We're gonna be back for some last licks with the great George Brett right after this. All right, this is the TMZ part of the show and I wanna ask you about how you met your wife, Leslie and how you impressed her with some Brooklyn treats known as bagels and cream cheese. Now, is that a true story? So I called up the store, it was about 10.30,
1: and uh, I said, hey, can you tell Leslie to come up front? I gave her some bagels and stuff. She was kind of seeing some other guy at the time, and next thing you know, she was dating me, and we ended up getting married.
0: Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds. Protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe. Game time with Boomer Esiason is back.
2: Hal McRae was one of a myriad of George Brett's teammates who marveled at his commitment and his focus. One of the things that helped George Brett become such a great player, McRae said, is that he never worried about politics and all that stuff that goes on around a team. George was always more interested in looking for a pitch to hit hard than playing politics, or talking about management, and I got to say, that is kind of like one of the nicest compliments a teammate can give another team, and it probably means a lot to you coming from him.
1: Yeah, it does. I think anytime time, uh, you know, it's funny, I had a chance to play with Hal for about 15 years, 16 years, we were teammates, and then he became manager of the Royals, and, uh, and I got a chance to play for him, and I really respect that guy. I always said that not only was he a, one of my favorite teammates, but maybe the best teammate I've ever had. But uh, he was one of the fiercest competitors. And and I just kept my mouth shut. I looked at the lineup card. And I saw I was hitting third. I saw I was hitting. Some days it would change. One day I walked to the ballpark. I'd never played left field in a game before. I walked into the ballpark in Fenway Park. I'm playing left field. I said, okay, that's great. Let's go. And I went out <laughs> there and took a lot of balls and betting practice and First inning, Jim Rice hits one off the wall. I held him to a single, and I'm going, man, this is pretty fun out here, you know. But I never really got into the politics of,
0: yeah.
1: of, of baseball, of ownership, or anything like that. I just wanted to go out and play and play as hard as I possibly
2: could. All right. This is the TMZ part of the show, and I want to ask you about how you met your wife, Leslie, and how you impressed her with some Brooklyn treats known as bagels and cream cheese. Now, is that a true story? She worked at the Ralph Lauren store in the plaza, and I had run into her there
1: a few times, and then I ran into her at a, a friend of mine's steakhouse in Kansas City one night. We actually had a long conversation with a friend of mine, and the next day she was telling me she loves bagels, and I was driving the next morning to go to the doctor's office. Um, so I had some knee surgery, and I had to get something taken care of there, and I just decided to stop off and bring some bagels to her and called her. You know, back then I had a, I to this, I had a car, a car phone No cell phones back then, but (laughs) I had a car phone. So I called up the store, it was about 10.30, and, uh, and I said, hey, can you tell Leslie to come up front? I gave her some bagels and stuff. She was kind of
2: seeing some other guy at the time, and next thing you know, she was dating me, and we ended up getting married. I just want to say thank you for your hustle, your work ethic, and your reputation to the game of baseball.
1: Well, Boomer, thank you very much. I really appreciate that coming from a pro like yourself.
2: All right, thanks, George. I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time. You watch baseball now. I was watching a playoff game this year, Boomer. There was
1: 20-something strikeouts after five innings. I turned it off. I turned it off. I said, I can't watch this
0: crap.